All right, doing this series, it's really hard sometimes to separate out the different pieces because I, I do see so much of this as interconnected. And so our opening week, we just talked about the fact that we have an epidemic in our society where we do not create room for rest. We have a lack of margin in our culture. And that's something that really has spanned all cultures over time. And so God believes so strongly in our need for rest that he made it a command that we Sabbath. And we still break that command. He commands us to do something good for us and we still don't do it. Um, And so then we talked about how Jesus is our ultimate source of rest. What he's done for us spiritually trickles down and affects our lives physically, mentally, emotionally, and at the deepest level in our souls. And he, he has made a place of rest for us, and he is our source of rest. Last Sunday, we talked about work and how do we figure out how to find that rhythm and that balance between work and rest. We were all made to do something meaningful, and there's ways that we work and accomplish something meaningful. It may not be our vocation. It may not be how we, we earn a living, but we were all made purpose to do something of meaning and value. We need that. If we don't attend to that, we can feel empty in our work. But also, work on a really practical level is meant to provide, and, it, and also it's work to tend or care for what we've been given. And finally, an important part of work is learning to enjoy the things that we work for, the people that we work for, to enjoy it. Those, those all work together so we can find a rhythm of work and rest. And so now this morning, we're going to get really practical. So I have, I have two pages. That's it. I usually have three or four. So you're probably like, all right, sweet. We might actually get out of here at a decent time. I've got two pages. Page one are a couple of verses I want to share with you. And I'm not going to do this this deep dive. I'm not going to get into all the nitty gritty of the Old Testament law, but I want to give you a sense of some things that God intended for us. And then my second page is a page of ideas. And you can do with them what you will. What I really want to invite you to do is on your own, reflect what would it look like for you and for your family to be purposeful to rest, all right? So it's really an invitation to consider and reflect. So here we go. Two points this morning. Number one, it's been commanded that we rest. Number two, we need to schedule rest. That's it. We've been commanded to rest. We need to schedule rest. Got it? John, you got it? You look like you're doing the math back there. All right. Commanded to rest. Um, In Exodus chapter 20, we were given the Ten Commandments, and we looked already at the commandment that was for Sabbath rest, one day a week to be devoted for worship and rest. We work six days, we rest the seventh. But if we continue on in Exodus, there's a little bit more unpacking in this realm. And so in Exodus chapter 23, we see um, some laws regarding Sabbath and worship and rest. And we, we see this picture of both Sabbaths and festivals and how they all work together. And so I'm not going to unpack every Sabbath and every festival in the scripture, but I just want to give you a sense that these are rhythms that God built into the calendar so we would slow down and rest and be refreshed. So check this out. Exodus 23, beginning in verse 10. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave, the beast of the field may eat. 
Um, it's unpacked even a little bit more in Leviticus chapter 25, where it really talks about whatever the field naturally creates is just kind of for everybody to be sustained on for a bit. Um, going on, you, do like, you shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Verse 12, six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh you shall rest. So again, he's connecting it in with this same concept. Let the land rest. You take a break from working and striving, and this is a part of the rhythm of the rest you practice every week. That your ox and your donkey may have rest, that the son of your servant woman, the alien, may be refreshed. Verse 13, pay attention to all that I've said to you and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. It's kind of cool. We were just singing only his name on our lips. Why is that important? God's connecting worship with our rest. It's not fully resting if worship isn't a part of it. If we disconnect the giver from the gift, we miss it. His rest is a gift, and we should enjoy it and him. And so we worship and rest. And then he goes on, three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me, and, and then unpack some more information. So there's the ground is to rest, the people are to rest, people are to be provided for, the less fortunate are to be cared for. That's all built in to how we get recharged. The needs of the people, the needs of the land, they're met. And there's times to slow down, and there's times to celebrate. That's the picture that's painted. Now, if we were to go on, if you want to do a little bit more digging on your own, I mentioned this in passing a second ago, you can check out Leviticus chapter 25. How many times are you encouraged to read Leviticus um, on a Sunday morning? But you can check out Leviticus 25 verses 1 through 7. It's actually kind of encouraging. I'd go read it. <laughs> but it unpacks more this idea of the fallow ground, of, of leaving the earth alone. It needs to take a break. It needs to take a break. But this idea of on the seventh year letting the ground rest, it doesn't stop there. God connects what the ground needs to what we need. During this sabbatical year, six years of work, reflecting the six days of the week that we work, the seventh year of rest, reflecting the seventh day of rest. You picking up on a theme here? Something that we need consistently. And so occasionally we need it on a bigger scale. On this seventh day of rest, it wasn't just that the land was to be at rest. Deuteronomy chapter 15 unpacks the sabbatical year even more. You can check that out. But as a part of that same year, there was the release of debt. Debts were released during this sabbatical year. Not only that, slaves were released. I'm not going to get into the whole biblical model of of indentured servanthood, slavery, but it's, it's different than what we picture or imagine or things we've experienced in our recent culture and even around the world today. There was an agreement, I'm going to live there, I'm going to work there, and it's going to be seven years max. And the prescription given in Deuteronomy 15 is at the end of those seven years, you put all these blessings on your slave when you free them. You give them money, food, resource as thanks and gratitude and they're released from service. And if that, that servant, that slave, loved working for you so much, like, we don't want to leave, this is great, then they can make a firmer, longer-lasting commitment to be in your household and work for you 
for their life. And so there was allowance for that. So there's this picture in these intervals every seven years where the land would rest, the people who were in need would be cared for, debt was wiped clean, and there was freedom. There was freedom. That's the picture of the rest that God intends. Not only that, there's this really extra special day of celebration called the year of Jubilee. And so there's this rhythm, six years of work, a seventh year of sabbatical rest, and then those are to play out in seven increments. So seven times seven is, anybody? 49. Great, great job. Y'all's math skills are on this morning. 49. The 50th year was to be a special year of rest and celebration. On the 50th year, not only did all those same sabbatical things kind of apply, but it went even further. The land was returned to the people who originally owned it. If you'd run into trouble and you had to sell off some of your land and your possessions to make ends meet, on the 50th year, it all reset and returned to you. And the, the year was so special, it was such a cool thing. You know, there's all these other feasts and celebrations in Scripture, and there's a lot of detail given, and there's, a, there's sacrifices that were made and things they were called to do. You know what really special thing they did on the year of Jubilee? They just blew a trumpet and partied. That's it. They literally just blew a trumpet. Check this out. Leviticus 25, beginning in verse 10. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. It's a party. It's joy-filled. And when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan, that 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather the grapes from the undressed vines. Relax, celebrate, enjoy. There's freedom from debt. There's a return of what's been stolen. It's a year of celebration and joy. And God said, listen, I know what you're like. You're not gonna actually believe that you can do this. You're not gonna believe. You're not gonna trust me. Remember a couple weeks ago, we looked um, in Exodus before the commandment was even given and they were told that the manna was going to collect on the ground but it wouldn't show up on the seventh day and God said on the sixth day there'll be double and it's the only day where it will last for you into the seventh so you'll stop and rest and what did people do the very first week? They went out on the seventh day to gather and God said I told you there'd be nothing there there is a principle that God has built in that when we work, when we're supposed to rest, it produces nothing. But that if we will take him at his word and rest as he instructs, he will provide. So check out this provision that he promises even in this 50th year. Because think about this. The 49th year was a sabbatical year. So there was one year of not working the fields and relieving some debt. And now it's year 50. That's the second year in a row. Two years off? There's no way we can handle that. Watch what God promises. Verse 20. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year if you may not sow or gather in our crop? I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. 
When you sow in the eighth year, you will be eating some of the old crop. You shall eat the old until the ninth year when its crop arrives. God says, if you will trust me on this issue of rest, I'm going to blow your mind with how I take care of you. The reason true biblical rest is worship is that it goes beyond what we could possibly imagine. And it takes trust to believe that God is that good and that he will provide, that he will provide. Now, I just wonder how often we take him at his word at the the smallest offer, the simplest one to slow down once a week and chill out. Do do we even do that? I, I think at times in the scripture, we're, we're so grateful for the grace of the New Testament and that we're not under the law, so to speak, of the Old Testament, that we miss some of the things God's offering there. There's some practical things in the Word of God that were made for our benefit. Do we need in some religious, judgmental, feeling guilty way, have to slavishly adhere to the Sabbath once a week or to these Sabbaths? No. Are we missing an incredible invitation by God to enjoy what he offers? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's something that's available to us. Now, this issue of the the Sabbaths, it's really cool watching what God laid out, but do you know these were almost never kept. If you look throughout the scripture, you rarely, if ever, see them kept. In fact, we're told the opposite. God highlights the fact that they wouldn't do it. For an example, we don't have to get into a whole Old Testament history for you, but is anyone familiar of the Babylonian captivity? Where after years of being in the promised land and then having mediocre at best, kings leading them most of the time, through all the ups and downs, eventually they went into Babylonian captivity. One of the main things God pointed to when they went into captivity, what we're familiar with is they were worshiping other idols and they weren't following God, but you know, you know what one of the main issues was? They neglected the Sabbaths. I want you to see this. Second Chronicles chapter 36 I'm just going to read verses 15 and 16 and then 20 and 21. Check this out. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers. He's talking about the prophets of old. He's talking about the judges that came along. He's talking about people like Samuel. And then he's talking about the Isaiahs, the Jeremiahs, those judges of old and those prophets of old. They came along. God sent messengers. Why? because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. The whole world was made, his land was made to experience rhythms of work and rest. The people he populated the planet with were meant to experience the rhythms of work and rest. It was a compassion and a gift, and we needed constant reminders because we don't take it. And his people didn't listen. And messengers came over and over again because of God's compassion to invite them to experience this. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. 
And so then it describes them going into captivity to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Verse 20. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. Verse 21, look at this. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. They were in captivity for 70 years because the land was dying because they wouldn't rest. And God said, if you're going to be stubborn and not rest, I'm at least going to take care of the land I gave you. You're so busy not resting, you're harming the other things that are in your domain that you've been called to care for. Are you hearing the implications of that? When we don't rest, we are harmed by it. When we don't rest, the things within our care are harmed by it. God has entrusted people into your care, into my care. He's entrusted a little space on this planet into your care and my care. And when we don't practice the rhythms of work and rest, We suffer, and so does all that we're called to care for suffers. If I don't rest as y'all's pastor, y'all pay the price. You might get some really angry sermons or something. I don't know what all it would look like, but that's real. That's real. My kids are going to suffer if I don't balance my life in the way that God has invited me into. It's an act of trust. It's an act of worship. And it's an act of taking him at his word that he will be the provider and that that what he has for us is right and it's good. The land had to lay desolate for 70 years. That's a lot of them skipping sabbatical rests, sabbatical years, years of jubilee. They're missing out on the years of jubilee. sad. I pray that we won't do that. I pray that we won't be a people that neglect the daily, weekly, seasonally, and even big picture every few years rest that we need. We need it. Our spouses need it. Our kids need it. Our community needs it. Are we even properly representing Jesus. I mean, I wonder how many people outside of the church think of Jesus and the church as a place of rest. I I think they view it as a place of judgment, maybe a place of hypocrisy. I'm not saying that's always fair. I'm not saying all church gatherings are full of judgmental hypocrites, but I'm just saying, what if we were known for rest? Jesus was. People in bondage, in slavery, sick people, sinners, they felt felt welcomed in his presence. You know what he did with them? He had festival meals with them. How often do we see Jesus just stopping at a meal with people? They found comfort and rest in him. We need this. The lives that we touch need this. 
So my, my hope is, I mean, this whole series has kind of been just trying to convince us of this. <laughs> I don't know if it's working, but I hope so. But I also want to, I want to get practical for a minute. So I'm just going to walk through a, a few things. Um, this is my list, okay? This is, this is stuff I've experienced personally. I believe I see this in Scripture too, but this is stuff I've seen in my own life. I also want to say I'm still learning. And so I want to invite you to consider this. So I, I want to give you three main things, okay? You, we need to schedule rest. The biggest detriment to rest is that we have to work to create it. And so instead, we just settle for working all the time. I realize you got to work to create rest, but you're going to just work nonstop anyway. So instead, take a little bit of time and work and create the space. All right, so three things. Number one, your calendar is your greatest weapon against the enemy of busyness. Here's the beauty of the culture that we live in. Everybody assumes we're super busy. And so everyone really respects the calendar because if your calendar is full, you got a lot going on. And so we respect that. So you know what you can do? You can use your calendar as a weapon and schedule rest. Just, just block it out. Write it on there. In this chunk of time, you know what I'm doing? Nothing. In this chunk of time, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to spend time with my kids. Block out space for rest. Build it into your calendar. We've got to schedule it if it's going to happen. Margin does not happen on its own. It has to be planned for. And so the same way you would sit down and create a budget and hopefully build in some margin there too, do the same thing with your calendar. Sit down and schedule it. Plan it. Um, listen, this is something if, if you're married, you have to do with your spouse. Take time to do it. And guess what? You'll sit down, you'll schedule it, you'll work on it, and you're going to have to maintain it. For Amy and I, this is a weekly conversation. There's, there's bigger picture ones too at times during the course of the year, but there's just a weekly look at the calendar. And sometimes what we do is we put things on the calendar we need to do work we need to do, or even just important things we do with other people. Like, hey, we need to schedule an evening with some folks. And it's, it's even things we really enjoy, things that we like to do. But we have learned that there has to be built-in time that we don't give away. And so what I might tell you is, my week is full. I can't meet with you this week. I can meet next week. What that actually means is I scheduled one or two dinners, and I left another four or five for my wife and kids. And I'm not going to apologize for that. We, we need to learn to not feel like we have to justify everything to everyone. I want you to practice something with me this morning. You ready? I want you on the count of three to say the word no. <laughs> you ready? This should be loud. One, two, three. No. That wasn't bad. Let's try one more time. One, two, three. All right, pretty good. Now, if you just can't muster those words, if there's just something broken in you that can't say the word no, then let me give you one I learned from Eugene Peterson. You ready? My schedule won't allow it. If you feel guilty saying no, then just say my schedule won't allow it. It's true because I've scheduled time to take a break and it, that's needed. 
I'm going to do the other things better because I've given that time. So practice saying no. Get a hold of your calendar. Don't let your calendar run you. Don't let your calendar run you. What, what we all too often do is we let a bunch of stuff get thrown on there, and then we're left picking up the pieces. Get a hold of your calendar first, and you tell your calendar what it's going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. And there are good things that sometimes you just have to say no to. doesn't mean they're bad. It just means you don't have time for it. It's going to be a no this time. It's going to be a later. Try again in a couple weeks. So your calendar is a weapon. Number two, you got to stop and take stock. you got to do an inventory. All right? Now listen, this is where we quit because this, this is where the work really sets in. Maybe we can get a hold of the calendar, but we got to take stock. But I, I want to give you three things to consider when you're, when you're doing in some inventory on your rest, okay? Number one, how do you recharge? If you don't know the answer to that, that is, the, that is where you need to stop and slow down and figure it out. What are the things that help you recharge? I'll give you some examples of things that contribute to recharging. Um, time with people. For some of you, Time with people does not recharge you. It drains you. It doesn't mean you don't love people. It doesn't mean you don't have friendships that you enjoy. It doesn't mean your kids aren't wonderful. It just means you're the kind of person that when you're around people, it drains you instead of fills you. You need to know that. You will better be able to love and be present with people if you know I need time away from them to recharge so then I can be present with them and contribute positively. That's important to know. If, if instead you recharge by being with people, you need to know that too. Hey, I, I might get annoyed if I'm ready to go hang out with some people and nobody's available. Well, did you plan it? Did you make space for it? Like, if you need to be around people to recharge, do that. You need sleep to recharge. You need to block out the proper amount of time for sleep. That might be the main thing some of you guys need to focus on. And it's not just that you need plenty of sleep. You need consistent sleep. Your body was designed to, to get into a rhythm. And so going to bed around the same time, getting up around the same time, I'm telling you, you can't cheat the seven, eight, eight and a half hours thing for long and not pay the price. You need sleep. Nick, your doctor, do people need sleep? Thank you. He got the th I got the thumbs up and the okay. Andy, please don't make me talk in the middle of your sermon. Look. <laughs> All right? People, sleep, slow days. Some of us recharge by having a slow day. Some of us recharge with adventure. Know the difference. Do I need to go out and do something and get moving? Does that recharge me? Or do I need a slow day? Um, where does entertainment fit in? Listen, there's a time and a place for entertainment, but we plug entertainment into the adventure spot and into the rest or slow day spot, and that's not what it does. I, listen, I love sitting down and watching a good show or movie with my wife as much as the next person. That doesn't re-energize you, and it doesn't rest you. If you think sitting down in front of the TV for a couple hours every night is rest, you're mistaken. It doesn't recharge your soul. It doesn't refresh you. It, give it its place, but view it differently. So consider slow days and adventure. Consider people and sleep. Consider entertainment. Where do these things fit in? So how do you recharge? Then your next question, once you've identified how you recharge, is when do you recharge? Compare your rest style to your calendar. 
If the way you rest is this, and then you go back and look at that calendar, and none of that's in there, ding, 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 there's a problem. There's a problem. Compare the two. How do you recharge? When do you recharge? And then, listen, this could have been the first thing on the list. You need to consider who needs to recharge. The first thing I will admit to you is that the more people that live in your house, the the more difficult this is. I've got six kids, I understand. All right? If you're single, this still takes work. If you're married, it takes a little more work because the answer to the calendar and to the how you recharge are going to be different. So if you, if you have a spouse at home, you have to have this conversation together. How do we recharge? How do we build the schedule to allow for each of us to do that? We need to recharge at times together, and we need to recharge at times apart. we got to make space for that. One of you might need to get up in the morning and go for a run. The other one might need to be given permission to sleep in, and so you're getting up with the kids and letting them sleep in. I don't know. you got to figure this out. But who needs to recharge? Your kids need to recharge. And your kids are all wired a little bit differently. So you need to think this through for them too. Create space for the people in your life that need, need rest. Consider how everybody needs to rest and build it into the calendar. It's important. It's important. All right? Now, your calendar, take stock, and then I'm going to get you all out of here with just a couple of categories to look at, okay? You need to make plans. So I would encourage you to view this through the lens of daily, weekly, seasonal, and then sabbatical years. Look at it through a few different lenses. And so daily, we're going to spend some time on this next Sunday when we talk about solitude and time with the Lord. Jesus over and over and over again, got away to be with the Lord. And by the way, I thought it was interesting, um, the type of place he would go was almost always described as a desolate place. You know what a desolate place is? Untended land that had been left alone. Fallow ground. He went to, he went to the place where there was fallow ground because his soul needed fallow ground to stop and slow down. So your daily routine, you need sleep, you need solitude, you need some physical activity, and there's some key people you need to spend time with. How do you balance your daily schedule to have those things and find rest? Weekly, how do you create Sabbath weekly? Again, we're going to talk about how worship ties in with this next Sunday, Um, but time to worship, time to be with the family of God, time to rest together with your family. You might need a date night with your spouse. Listen, Amy and I, for years, date night was we're putting the kids down at 7, 7.30, getting them to bed as early as we can, and I'm driving over to Buffalo Wild Wings to pick up wings, and Amy wanted pasta from somewhere, and so I'd make a couple stops and come back, and we'd just sit in the living room and do that because that, that's what we could do. That's what a date night was. Um, my point is don't let your budget tell you you can't do this. If date night is the back deck and the kids are in bed and you're sitting over, you know, a cup of coffee or whatever, great, do that. But you need this. You need time together. You need downtime. Um, You've got to look weekly at your projects at home and determine how you're going to balance weekly rest with getting the things done that need to get done at home. If you tell yourself 
That mowing the grass and doing the three repairs around the house and running errands was your day of rest. You're kidding yourself. It needs to be done, but that's in the work category. That was last Sunday. You've got to be honest with yourself and separate the difference between the two. Now, you might consider working in your garden as restful. Great. I'd put it in the right category. But daily, weekly, seasonally, you need to get away for breaks every so often. This could be going on a hike. It could be the vacation that you go on. It could be a getaway with your spouse. But, but you need this. And during that time, you need to build in time for that fallow ground. Even if you're active, you need to be able to turn your brain off a little bit. If you're a little more passive, you're laying on the, on the beach, you need time for rest and reflection. Think about the flow of this. Amy and I realized really quick vacation with our family wasn't very restful when we had a lot of kids. <laughs> we realized that really quick. And so we've done a couple things over the years. Um, one thing I learned was instead of maxing out the days off that I have from work at the place of vacation, I did a lot better if I had a prep day before we went and a day at home after we got back to like wind down, to let the house reset, instead of rushing back to work the very next day. And so we started substituting less time at the beach for a better overall balance to our schedule. That may not be the thing for everybody, but it helped us a lot to like ease back into life. Because when I would go on vacation and work a bunch to make sure my kids were having fun and then go right back to work the next day, I was like, I don't even feel like I had a vacation. I'm exhausted. The other thing we started doing is uh, we brought a babysitter along. And then our older girls got old enough and we said, okay, we're going to take turns. In the afternoons, there's going to be nap time. And, and mom and dad are going to go to the beach and sit there and stare at the ocean with no kids that need anything. And somebody's going to sit at the house and you're going to watch a movie or take a nap or do whatever. So we get a little bit of vacation too. We'll go play in the waves and do all the stuff as a family. And then we're going to rest too because we need that. We'll go out one or two nights without the kids and eat on vacation. Like, we just worked in ways to get the rest we needed, so we all got rest at vacation. Listen, this might seem weird in a sermon, but I'm just telling you, you got to think and you got to be creative. You got to plan to get the rest that you know you need. At times, you got to figure out a way to get away without the kids, but we need this. And then finally, sabbatical years. You got to step back and go, every so often, we got to get away from everything. I got to step back. I need to take some significant time off from work. Um, I, you know, we need to really unplug. And so every few years, figure out how you do that. My wife and I have done that two or three times. We've had a couple long weekends. Um, once or twice, we've been really spoiled and been able to go somewhere really, really great. But we, you need this. You need to slow down. And in that space... Man, that's, that's where there's room for rest, for reflection, for creativity. Y'all, this, this church was born on vacation. This church was born on vacation. In August or September of 2012, I at least know the year, I can't remember what date, for the first time we went on vacation with the Hawkins to Florida. And it was in the middle of that trip we first talked about planting a church. And we started to realize there were all these ideas we had in our hearts that, that were like this. We'd been friends for a while. We'd hung out a bunch. We'd never had those conversations. It was on a vacation when we had slowed down, 
where all of a sudden all this stuff that was below the surface was allowed to bubble up and there was room for reflection and conversation. Not only was that the, the little first seed planted of that, but the final decision was born on vacation. We traveled with the Richmonds and the Hawkins at the tail end of the summer of 2015 going, man, we, we're pretty sure we're gonna go plant a church in Knoxville. I was like, we gotta get away and really prayerfully make a decision. It was on that trip that we all looked at each other and said, hey, we're doing this, let's go. Um, so I'm a big believer in vacation. I'm a big believer in the need for rest. There, there is good that comes of that. New life comes from it. Creativity comes from it. Refreshing comes from it. We have to make space for it. God, in his compassion for people, established the Sabbath. He established the Sabbath. Let's not neglect it, and let's not neglect him. Let's plan to rest. My, my hope is that if you currently do this sort of thing, that this would encourage you to continue the habit and the rhythm of using your calendar to make space to worship and to be recharged. My prayer is that if this is something that is lacking in your life, you will recognize it as something that God has given you and he's hardwired into you to need and that you'd invite him to come speak to you and to your family about what it would look like to schedule rest. We need it. And it's a beautiful gift. And then we can step back and go, wow, God, you're really good. You're really good. Thank you. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for the life that I have in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are my rest. And you've made space for me in the midst of a full, busy life to enjoy the gifts you've given. I just wonder if our ability to even see him and worship him might expand because it, it's, it's not an accident that he connects Sabbath rest with Sabbath worship. And it's not an accident that God paid attention to the calendar even if we don't. It's often been said the Jewish catechism is the Jewish calendar. He built it into the rhythms of life to learn about who he is and what we need and his goodness for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for Sabbath rest. Thank you that you've given it to us. You've made us for it. God, I pray that we would learn the discipline of scheduling to slow down, to enjoy you, to get refreshed and recharged. God, to, that part of how we faithfully tend and care for ourselves and those you've entrusted in our care is learning to rest. Thank you that it's a gift from you. Help us to learn to trust you for it, to plan for it. And God, I pray that we would connect rest with you, with your heart towards us, with being in your presence, because that's the truth, God. You're the source of our rest. We love you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.